Good afternoon and welcome to the Voice of Wisdom. With over 60 years of experience as an investment banker, entrepreneur, investment analyst, economist, and venture capitalist, Morty Davis is Wall Street and capitalism personified. The over 400 companies for which he has raised more than $3 billion over the years have created a countless number of jobs and exciting new products. Through the voice of wisdom, Mr. Davis explores, analyzes, and debates the most topical political, economic, and social issues facing our world today. Joining Mr. Davis today for a discussion on affirmative action is the ever-brilliant Rabbi David Seidman. To join the conversation, please call 332-263-3300. That's 332-263-3300. And now, Mr. Davis and Rabbi Seidman. Welcome back once again um, to the 6.30, I guess, supposed 6.30. It's a Jewish 6.30 because, as you may know, in Israel, the way they announced the time on radio, at the signal will be exactly this time, uh, will be exactly 10 o'clock, or maybe 10 after 10. Anyway, we, we, we're on a 6.30 start-up time, but I got caught in traffic, so I apologize. And uh, I have to tell you how much I appreciate Rabbi Seidemann uh, waiting around uh, for my appearance because he's got another gig tonight. He's speaking in Queens. He's too popular, but he, he wouldn't miss uh, speaking to my... Um, gathering of friends and, and, and listeners. Let me explain to you, uh, by way of a joke, um, one of my favorite jokes, what, what happened. I got delayed, and um, <clears throat> I apologize. Um, I hope you hung around long enough to stay with me. But the, um, the way this joke goes is the Pope arrives at Kennedy Airport, the Pope, and he runs up to a cab driver and he says, I've got to get to the Waldorf Astoria in, in 20 minutes. And the, tax dri- ta- the cab driver says, I can't do that. And the Pope says, what do you mean you can't do it? I've got to get there in 20 minutes, I'm telling you. He says, well, you know, I've, to do that, I'd have to go like 90 miles an hour. I'd have to go in and out. I'd have to violate every every kind of... Uh, traffic uh, restriction, regulation, and so I, I can't do it. So he says, well, do it, you know, do it. Um, I'll give you a big tip. He says, no, I can't. It's nothing to do with the tip. He says, and he takes out his license, and he says, look at all these marks I have on my license already. If I get one more mark on this license, I'll lose my license. So the Pope, as you can well understand, is very understanding and sympathetic. So he says to the cab driver, you know what? I don't want you to lose your license. Why don't you go sit in the back so you, you won't have to be subjected to, to, to the um, regulations? And I'll drive, and you, you won't be getting any more violations on your license. And I'll give you a big tip for that so, so I can get there in time. So... Cab driver says, "Okay, if you're gonna drive, I'll sit in the back and get me, uh, and I'll get 
to the uh, Waldorf Astoria in 18 minutes, probably. So the, uh, the cab driver sits in the back, the pup gets behind the wheel, and he starts driving like crazy. He leaves Kennedy Airport, he's on the Van Wick doing 90 miles, 85 miles, 103 miles. He keeps racing like crazy, zigzagging in and out, and all of a sudden you hear a siren, ah! Cop stops him, he says, you lunatic, you were going over 100 miles in an area that, that, that uh, demands a 35-mile limit, a speeding limit. He says, and you, you were jeopardizing people's lives, zigzagging in and out. And with that, he says, I got to call the chief. I got I to gotta see what I got to hit you with. So he goes back to his car, he calls the chief, and he says, Chief, I just caught this guy on the Van Wick Expressway doing over 100 miles an hour at points and uh, no less than 90 miles an hour. He's racing like crazy. He's uh, jeopardizing other cars. He almost had six, eight crashes just while I was watching. And what should I hit him with? So he says, what do you mean what should you hit him with? Hit him with the book. Hit him with speeding. Hit him with reckless endangerment. Hit him with... uh, just every, everything, you know, they just hit him with the book. He says, the, the guy says, the cop says, I can't do that. He said, what do you mean you can't do that? Said, of course, hit him with the book. He said, yeah, but this guy's big, boss. So he said, what do you mean he's big? Is it the, the mayor? He says, no, bigger than the mayor. Bigger than the mayor? Is it the governor? He says, no, bigger than the governor. Bigger than the governor, is it the president? He says, no, bigger than the president. He says, who the hell's bigger than the president? He says, uh, I don't know, but the Pope is his driver. So <laughs> if the Pope being his driver, obviously he's bigger than the president. So it's same with me. I was on the way here, and I got stopped because I was speeding all the way from my bedroom to the kitchen, I was speeding, and uh, I finally made it. Anyway, thank you for uh, your patience, and let's get started on the topic of the day, which is very timely because it's before the Supreme Court at this very moment, and that is how how should we uh, deal with uh, the concept of affirmative action? In other words, uh, the African-American population, uh, ever since slavery, has been left behind. At, at one juncture, they couldn't vote at all. Then subsequently, they, they were allowed, I think, three-quarters of a vote. They, they had, but to vote, they had to pay a poll, toll, a poll tax. I'll get it right yet. A poll a tax. And over time, they've they've reached the point where they are entitled to vote just as all the rest of us are. But in so many areas, they haven't caught up in terms of the schools in their areas. They live in the more depressed areas where the schools are funded with less funds because the the money that's used to finance schools comes from the real estate tax that you and I pay. And in different communities... In wealthy communities, clearly, people pay a lot more tax on real estate. And in poor communities, 
they pay very small real estate tax, so the budget of the schools and the depressed areas in the in the in the sort of the the less uh, elite areas, the ones that have more minorities and particularly African Americans, have have less good teachers, less uh, good buildings, and and so it's hard for them to catch up. And uh, of course, uh, it's considered unlikely. That people who do the evaluations feel that um, the government does evaluations find that they don't have quite the same opportunity to advance to get the education that the um, kids in the other wealthier communities get. So in order to address that and to make up for the years of slavery that we subjected them to, we were, the recent approach has been, at least in the area of education and schooling, for them to be, get a preference and when they apply to a college so that they may get in with a somewhat lower grade average and, and school performance uh, than um, the record of a, of a white child or, a, or a, even an Asian child and so forth. Incidentally, it's really miraculous that the Asians who arrive here uh, almost with with almost no uh, concept of the English language or with a very little capability of speaking the English language, have risen to the point where um, the percentage of, of their population, I'll give you one example, Stuyvesant High School, which is considered one of the four best high schools in the New York area. Interestingly enough, the most the one on top of the list in New York is in the Staten Island High School. Uh, I never knew that. I discovered that in the research that I've done for this talk. And the other three are the, um, I think it's the Staten Island uh, High School of Science or something. I'm not, I don't recollect right off the bat the name. The others are Stuyvesant High School uh, is in the top 25 uh, way up there, um, Bronx High School of Science and Brooklyn Tech. Those are the three top schools, four top schools, including the Staten Island one. And the percentage of, um, uh, as I recollect, the percentage of um, white students, of um, Asian students at um, Stuyvesant, in particular, I I have overall numbers for, for all the schools, but particularly for Stuyvesant, because when I was young, that was the number one high school in New York, and the top students were overwhelmingly Jewish. And so um, even though the Jewish population in New York was about 2% of the population, or 3% of the population at that time, they dominated the class almost over 50 percent were, were Jewish, and then the um, whites were uh, white population. For some reason, I, I think the Jews were in, 
excluded from the white population when they did the count. Uh, but the uh, the uh, the um, white population was about. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the more recent numbers. Right now, the Asian um, population uh, uh, attendance at uh, acceptance at uh, Stuyvesant High School is about seventy-four percent. The number of whites is about eighteen uh, percent. The number of Latinos uh, is about, uh, I think, three percent. I think 3%. No, I think it's, for Stuyvesant, I think it's about 9% or more. Oh, yeah. And the and it's gone, gone down. This this year, the acceptance in a class of about, uh, entering class of uh, about 800, I think it was, 800, 900. This year, I think there were six African Americans accepted. Two, three years ago, I think it was up around Twelve, and then it went came down to eight, and now it's about six. So, just to get square things, they want to find a way, or the, or the, the, there's been a great deal of agitation by the uh, National Association and and uh, what is it, what is it called? The National Association of uh, Colored People and the NAACP and the NAACP. And other uh, that, uh, that who represent the black community, saying it's outrageous that um, you know the black population plays such an important role in New York City that it, it, it's it's inconceivable that only six uh, what do you call it out of um, the whole class six. African Americans were accepted, and and uh, and uh, that same number about um, uh, let's see, seventy eight percent, three quarters roughly, of a thousand of eight hundred, about seventy five percent of eight hundred, about six hundred are are Asian. So, and and then there's been a lawsuit brought against Harvard, which is likewise is one of the top uh, uh, destination of higher education and top schools in the country, top colleges of the country, uh, has been accepting, um, giving a bonus to African Americans so they could qualify. So. It might be that the, the the qualification necessary for a white person, a white applicant, would be an, a, a 94 average. Uh, they would bring it down to a 83 average. For they'd give the black applicant a bonus, uh, so he could get another 15 points added to his application. So he'd be up at 95 or even higher. So Harvard's been very generous in that way and has increased the percentage of African-American students attending Harvard 
undergraduate and even Harvard uh, Business School and Harvard Law School. So we had that's the crux of the uh, issue, and it's up behind the behind before the Supreme Court right now, and we should get a, a decision sometime this year. But Harvard is fighting to retain that position, and uh, several other colleges are on board with them. And uh, the Supreme Court's going to have to decide whether that's fair, because a lot of Chinese that have far superior, uh, or Asian, not, not only Chinese, Vietnamese, and, uh, and uh, uh, throughout Asia, what other Asian countries, uh, Vietnam um, and um, Cambodia, all, all of the Asian countries, uh, their, their students, many of their students who apply have uh, complained to, by the, pointing out that they have higher educational achievements, attainments, than the African-Americans that are getting uh, accepted. And they're excluded because there's a limited, you know, there's only a limited number of openings, and some of them are, some of the Asians are rejected because of that. So that's the lawsuit, and right now, because of the nature of the Supreme Court, it looks like Harvard's going to lose, and they will prevent institutions of learning from favoring uh, the um, the African American entrance uh, applicants, even though uh, the argument is, is that we've kept uh, them behind, they haven't had the same opportunity to achieve, and in an effort to bring them on, to bring on African Americans to the same level of uh, of achievements and, and uh, resume impression, positive impression, as the Asians and the white uh, applicants get, they, they, they're going to eliminate this advantage, uh, so-called advantage by not so-called advantage, it's really a bonus. They're going to get 15 points or something. So the, even though the, the African-Americans' results are 15% lower or 14% lower, they're going to wind up higher than the one that achieved a, 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 a resume or a... a academic standard that's higher than the Asians. So the Asians are soon because they said it's reverse bias. It should all be based on on met, metrocracy. I think I got it out. Meritocracy. Meritocracy. Just as uh, every sport, you know, if you want to play for the New York Knicks, they don't say because you're, 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 there's less whites than blacks, on the on the average NBA team, that we need to get put more whites on a basketball court when a game starts, and so we we should give a extra credit in some manner, shape, or form to the short Jewish guy, to the, to the short fat Jewish guy, right, or to anybody that that is is doesn't have a, a you know equal representation in proportion to their own. Uh, 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 percentage of the population. I mean, that goes throughout it. It's been a big issue that 
African-American uh, institutions and, and uh, advocates have made with respect to the, uh, to the uh, prison population in America. And the prison population, I think, I, don't hold me to it, but it's approximately three-quarters of the population and, and of the prison population in America is African-Americans, and they represent only about 13, 14% of the total population. Yeah, well, you, so their argument, the, the argument is it should be more equal. It should be, you know, the, the white population is a little more than 50%. It should be 50% whites. It should be 13 or 14% African-Americans, so forth. Somehow it hasn't worked out that way, I and mean, we can't bring it to fruition under the Congress or the Senate or the, uh, or the uh, Constitution to remedy, or if, if it, indeed it is remedying, adjusting it so that the amount of diversity is more equal and that those in a lesser part participation should be somewhat advantaged, bonused, or rewarded, or you know, their applications enhanced so they can start to get a bigger proportion or at least a, a, an allocation equal to their percentage of the population, of the total population. I want to carry on this uh, numbers uh, uh, and uh, I think if you, uh, you get me, you get the point, and if you have any issues with what I said, be my guest. I'm, I'm always open for abuse. I'm ready to abuse you. Okay, so let me hear from, I took up mo too much of your time, so let me introduce my great friend and, and genius rabbi, a, a very highly respected member of our community, David Seidemann, do you have anything to say oh, about... I, I've got five hours worth of stuff to say. Five hours. I told you, he's a genius. All right. Well, <laughs> not because I'm a genius, but because you said things that are just so, so um, simplistic. And I say that with love and respect. And or, I, the, or aggravating. Or the, aggravating. Yeah, I don't get aggravated. No. But, but I, let me just, before I go you, into you the history... Get, you don't get aggravated not by, at this by what, they, what many of them claim, many of our people claim... Uh, is unfair? Well, let, let, let me address the unfairness, okay? Because you unwittingly echoed the argument of the Asians in this lawsuit against Harvard and against um, the University of North Carolina, I believe is the other institution. First of all, it's interesting. You know, when hot-button issues like this come before the Supreme Court, there's something called an amicus brief, meaning that you're not involved in the lawsuit, but you have an interest in it because it can somehow affect right. you. I read, you know, I, I follow the Supreme Court a lot. I actually teach a class on it. And um, there were more amicus briefs filed. There were 93 amicus briefs filed in this case. Right. 60 of them supported Harvard and University of North Carolina and, only, and saying that we should keep this program in place. And only 33... 33 um, were for chucking this program. But, but uh, you said something that encapsulizes the Asians' argument, and I'm going to 
and it's it's really a departure from what I wanted to say. I just want say. to make one thing clear. Yes, sir. I tried to represent the argument of the African American. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But but something you said is so wrong and, and so off base. And, and Harvard's like, position. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but I just want to talk about the prison analogy that you made. You said that thirteen percent of the population is black, but seventy five percent of the prison population is black, and so, the numbers should be equal. You can't look at what is the prison population versus the to- the black prison population versus the total black prison po- uh, uh, population in the country. You have to look at what percentage of the population is black or white when you compare it to the amount of crimes being committed by blacks and whites. You see, if seventy five, if only thirteen percent of all crimes were committed by African Americans, then you'd be right. The prison population would have to match the population of the African-American community. But if 13%, and I'm not saying this is true because I don't know, I didn't study these numbers. If 13% of the population is committing 50% of the crimes, then the population should be 50%, not 13%. Now, that touches on an entirely different topic, which we can talk about in the future. And that is, are blacks prosecuted... At a more at a higher level or a more severe level than whites, and if that is true, and it might be true, we'll talk about that another time. Then you're right; the numbers are out of skew. Well, but that, but to look it. at it, no, I'm looking at it from the no. argument of the African American advocates. Yeah, but, but, but what, and they're saying you said that that the that since they're only thirteen percent of the population, they should only be thirteen percent of the prison I, that's population. Not my, I'm, that I, Wait, that's not my position. I got it. But if anybody who says that is off base. The people who represent the people, they say, we we definitely don't, uh, uh, they don't believe they're anywhere near that. They say, you know, we're pretty much the same. No, I'm just saying you got to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges. That the black, uh, the African-Americans are arrested more aggressively. True. And they're, they're indicted more. True. And they're incriminated more and put in jail more True. readily. And that's where the problem Correct. is. Correct, but, but, but not that it should so, automatically only be 13%. And you're right. I, I haven't just, agree with you. With okay, I saw a study today that said that if you kill a white man, you are, and the percentages are way out of whack. If you kill a white man, you are more likely to go on death row than if you kill a black man. So I agree, that's a completely different discussion. But I want to talk about, you know, I, I read through a number of the briefs, 93 briefs, not all of them, not even most of them, but I read through a sampling, and I was able to pull from those 93 briefs 17 arguments in favor of the students for fair admissions and 17 arguments, I wrote it all down, 17 and 17, and 17 saying, scrap the whole idea. Now, the, what's interesting... Well, wait, which, wait, fair admissions has... Fair admissions has 17 no, good arguments. Fair admissions is, says, is a very, no, it's a very, uh, what do you call it, uh, emotional... Yes, well, that's the name that, they chose for the group. Not, I get it. That's not... Uh, I get it, but, but, but one thing's so very important. Which, is, which do they... The student for fair admissions. Those are the which plaintiffs. Are those the, but are those... Those are the Asians in this case. Those are, I, they, they represent the Asians. Uh, and what the, they're saying is... Because the African-American representatives would say the fair admissions... Yeah, exactly. But, right, but for the names okay. in this lawsuit, the students for the fair admissions are the Asians, and the, un, and the defendants, the, the respondents, are actually the, the universities, Harvard University of North Carolina. 
what, what the Asians are arguing is as follows. You cannot remedy past discrimination by creating present discrimination. They're not denying that the African-American has been prejudiced, has been denied opportunity. They're admitting that right. in their papers, if you read them. Right. They're, they're not saying that that's a fallacy. Right. What they're saying is the, they're making two why, major yeah, why arguments. Why should we be punished? What, 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 what do you want from us? Right, we, we didn't. Uh, right, we, we weren't even here then. Right. So what do you want from us? That's the first argument they're making. The second argument they're making is, is that, you know, there's the 14th Amendment, equal protection and due process. And that's the argument that Harvard and University of North Carolina is making and that the University of, Michi uh, University of Michigan Law School made in 2003 in the right. famous case of Grutter versus Bollinger. Right. They're saying the 14th Amendment, due process, equal protection, blacks, whites, Asians, Hispanics, everybody's equal. So the plaintiffs in this case are saying that if that's your argument that everybody's equal, then we're just as equal as you are and maybe you should be beating up on the whites and not on the Asians. The second argument they're making, they're making three good arguments, I think, well, let me rephrase that. They're making three good arguments that I think are going to persuade the Supreme Court justices. The second argument to they're making what? To, to get rid of the affirmative action plan. Right. The I, second just wanna, I just want to point out yeah. that even the way you defined it now, from, from I'm representing now the black uh, right. uh, African-American... And I'm talking only about the Asians. ...advocates uh, who are re representing the position of the... African American and right. unfairness. Right. So even the definition of, of, of calling this the fair, what, what is it? The, fair, the students for fair admissions. Right. But no, they're saying make it as fair as the blacks. No, just like no, but the, the blacks, the blacks would say that we're, we're the ones that are arguing not for more fair than, admissions. Not more than the Asians. In those, no, but once you, once you define it, I get it. it I get you're, it. You're, you've already okay, indicated a name. bias. That's what I'm right, saying. Right. In favor of the... Yes, you know. I, but I didn't choose a name. But the, here's the second argument they're making. The second argument that they're making is that in Grutter versus Bollinger, 2003 case, the Supreme Court justices wrote in that decision that this decision has an expected shelf life of 25 years because in 25 years, hopefully, we'll be at a place where... Everybody the, will be right, satisfied. Right. Right. The third argument they're making, which is... I believe will be most persuasive with the Supreme Court and which is the most contentious and which you and I could talk for days about this is has affirmative action worked? When we said the African-American, when we imposed on industries to hire a certain amount of African-Americans, when we imposed on educational institutions to allow uh, blacks, has the number of African-Americans who are interested in that higher education rose in proportion to their segment of the population. In other words, like this. If I'm not interested in being a garbage man or I'm not interested in being a heart surgeon, I don't fall into the category of people that can claim that the sanitation department is discriminating against me and the medical schools are discriminating against me because I have no interest in applying. The only person who can make the argument, I want to be a lawyer, and I was denied the opportunity, is somebody who's interested. So when affirmative action started, Title VI and the 14th Amendment, 
and the, the Title VI applies to even private institutions, the 14th Amendment only to public institutions. When they created this, this animal, and I don't say animal in a bad way, I mean a good way, when they created this rubric of affirmative action, has it trickled down to the general population of the African community? And why is that important? Because in 2003, when they wrote this decision and said, we have to create affirmative action, the, the expectation was that the other people, the whites, the, not Asians back then, but whoever would be eventually disadvantaged, would bite the bullet to bring the African-American community up out of you know, the, the low level that they're at. Right. But it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. Okay. And therefore, one second, this is so important. When the government engages in a scheme that seems to discriminate against, in this case, Asians, the standard of review is a compelling state interest. And the Asians are arguing that a compelling state interest can only be substantiated if it produced results. And since the affirmative action did not produce results, the compelling state interest goes away. And therefore, the 14th Amendment and the six, and Title VI don't come into play. And one final point, then I'll let you talk because I see you're as anxious as I was to talk. Another argument that the, student, that the students for fair admission standards are, are making is that the petitioners are arguing a First Amendment right. Nowhere in the First Amendment does it guarantee somebody an education. Talks about freedom of speech, right. freedom of that, freedom of that. Talk. Nowhere in the First Amendment. So when, when the respondents frame their argument as a First Amendment argument, then you get into the issue of, hey, nowhere in the First Amendment are you guaranteed this. And when they frame it as a 14th Amendment or Title VI, then there's got to be a compelling state interest to impose a on-its-face discriminatory against Asians. And the way the courts have dealt with compelling state interest is whether that interest is going to produce results, and it hasn't. The okay, no, I just want to respond to yeah, that. Yeah. And again, don't get me wrong, because yeah. I happen to feel personally that the right way to treat it is based on merit. Right. Just like the NBA, where you're talking about salaries that are 20, 30 million, even 50 million dollars a year, there's hardly one white in the right. whole league. Uh, that, uh, and if you watch a best, an NBA basketball game, there's always a 10, 10, 5 on each side right. playing. And if there's a, two white guys out you're, of the you're, 10... You think something's wrong with your TV. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't have color TV. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And there's nothing or wrong with I that. Don't know, I, have, I don't have black and white right. TV because it's all colored. Right, but Morty, there's nothing wrong with that. What that means no, is that me, I have no let, right let, to let, say let, they're discriminating no, against me. let me finish what, yeah. what, what they're arguing. Yeah. In this world, there's always uh, two arguments. Okay. Not, it doesn't mean that both are equal in merit or, right. or in fact or anything. The argument that you raise is the, one of the reasons that blacks aren't interested in being a surgeon, perhaps, or, or top lawyers, is at the very birth, they're starting off closed 
they have no role models that were ever there. They have no no uh, awareness that that that's a career available to them or open to them. So they're saying it's not that we don't want our people don't want the same, you know, what what's, opportunities. What's what's very dominant discussion these days is uh, everyone should be equal right. under the law. Right. And some people say, well, clearly it doesn't look like Trump is treated the same way as uh, the guy who's arrested for one uh, identifiable violation. Right. And here we, they found innumerable violations that other people would probably be locked up for a long time. So in this case, too, it's they're saying we never had it. It was never equal under the uh, Right, so what's the answer? You know what the answer is? Don't tell the University of Michigan and don't tell Harvard and don't tell the University of North Carolina that you have to allow more African Americans in. You might be able to say that, but if you really want to get to the root of the problem, don't deal with the disadvantage that the African Americans have. Don't wait till they get to law school to deal with it. Start in kindergarten. Make them want to go to law school. Make them want to go to I'm, medical I'm school. I'm more with you. That's and why affirmative action's not working because you can't wait till they get to the workforce and you can't wait till they get to medical school or law school. They have no desire to because they haven't been given the opportunity to develop the desire to. You have to start in kindergarten. You have to say that Clarence Thomas should be your role model. This, any other African American that made it in the corporate world, in the business, in the medical, in the legal, that should be your role model. Right. You do that, then I believe... Then I believe if that doesn't work, then you can tell Harvard and University of North Carolina and University of Michigan you got you got to even you got to balance it out. Oh, but until you make them want it, look, I want to give you just from personal experience during my long life. Number one, there are African Americans that make it big. Nobody maybe bigger than Colin Powell. Correct. Who's considered. Susan Rice. Even before Obama as a presidential candidate, he was head of the armed forces. He was just a phenomenal, uh, looked up to, and he's just one example. And and he says it's really because it shows uh, the difference. He says one of the differences in his life, he spoke, he speaks Yiddish fluently. Right. He says I worked in in the Bronx in a hardware store. And my boss was a Jewish owner. He owned the store. And all the, overwhelmingly, the, his, his um, clients, his customers were, were Jewish. So over time, he learned to speak Yiddish. But he said it came the time for him to graduate high school, and, uh, and he wanted to prolong his career with this Jewish owner, who Colin Powell said he respected a great deal. The Jewish owner told him, don't continue working for me, even though you're a valuable asset, I'd love to keep you, go to college, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and then he guided him, he was a role model for him on how to move forward, so we all need some role model that right. we can find, right. unfortunately in the, in the African American community there isn't, there aren't enough role models for these young people, to, their role models are the, the winners in their community, who are the biggest winners driving the the stretch uh, Cadillac, yeah, and and uh, and the uh, rap stars and, and, and the basketball and, stars, and, right? And, and you know, very showy. So, 
the biggest winners are the ones that are marketing uh, marijuana and, and, and illegal drugs. So when, when I grew up, I want to be like him. Look at he's driving a, a, a gold Cadillac. Right. I'll give you another interesting example. Some years ago on WABC radio, they had a, a, a discussion of the progress of African Americans in the, in the U.S. and had five participants. So four of them were saying, what we need more of is more support, we need more welfare, we need more food stamps, we, we need more uh, whatever... Uh, Could be given out, that's what right, they wanted, right? More, more, you know... More handouts. More opportunities in, in the fields that pay the most, you know, these kind of things. And there was one fellow from the University of California. You know, that's a, you, California has a university system that's run by the state. So it was either UCLA or USC or one of the uh, top schools there in, in their... And he was saying, what we need is more of our people staying married, more fathers staying, staying, at, home. staying at home, more mothers spending time reading to their kids right. and, and being home when, when, when they're... Uh, when they're uh, the extreme response incident to that over the years, back maybe 35 years ago, there was a proposal by somebody in New York, uh, one of the legislatures, that said for, for some of these uh, African-American... Uh, young women that already had four or five kids yeah. and were were uh, never home. Clearly, clearly not children, not, yeah. not giving their kids a shot at life. If you or I were brought up in that, that environment, we'd also be in jail, probably. Right. Or, or if we weren't in jail, we'd be not performing so, the way we should. So they said they would give those kind of women a $50,000 bonus to, to tie their tubes. Right. It's not saying you can't have kids. It's saying after you, you have, to, after, right. after you have four or five already, we want you to stop having and spend more right. time you know, developing the ones you have or avoiding them being so neglected and more influenced by the, the negatives in the community than, than the role models. So <clears throat> it was. It was. I can imagine. It was beaten up so badly. It was. I can imagine. It, it was called. Uh, it was called. What, what is it? Uh, what do they call it? Uh, genocide. Uh, genocide. Racial, like racial genocide. But Morty, can we agree? Can we agree that after no, 25, this, 30 years, you know what they? But the the guy who was speaking up and saying we need more of this, and another guy that was a hero, who was my hero, until he got into this trouble is the guy who had the number one radio show, television show. I thought that was you. <laughs> no, it was almost me. The black guy who's in trouble now for drugging, uh, supposedly, presumably drugging many of the aspi aspiring women that came to him for advice because he was such a superstar. Uh -huh. And he had invited him for a drink or something. Right. It was so nice. Uh, what, let's what's, get back what's, on time. What's his name? Jordan. Oh, Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Yeah, 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 Bill Cosby. Bill right. Cosby. Okay, but let's get no, back so to the So Bill topic. Cosby lectured 
precisely this right, way. Right, right. I remember. And the, the guy who from Cal, University of California, the other four people, every time he spoke up, they said, you're an Uncle Tom, keep quiet. Right, right. Because he was telling them, you know... Live a different life. You know, different priorities. Don't, don't ask society to fix it. You fix it within your community by demanding that the male... Uh, uh, that a father be a father and a mother yeah. be a mother. Yeah, simply first, said. First, first to them, to, to stay, uh, you know, the, we even inci- inspired them and, and incentivized them because if they got divorced, they were more easily awarded uh, uh, government support of welfare. If they stayed married, they were, it was less accessible right. to them. Right. Listen, I think we can agree that affirmative action, as it's presently constituted, doesn't, has not worked. And then there's only two conclusions. It's because we, we not we, because the white um, community hasn't done enough or because the African-American community has not taken advantage of what was given. And I'm sure it's on an individual basis. But I want to, say, I want to make one very interesting point about where I think the court's going to go with this or where they could go. The court could say, we're leaving things as they are. I doubt it. The questioning of the justices uh, yesterday or Monday made it clear that they were not going to let it stand as presently constituted. But there are two choices. They could say, scrap the whole program. Racial uh, history cannot have any part in uh, college admissions or in any hiring. Or they could say, the state still has a compelling interest, but as presently constituted, the way you've developed the system by giving extra points is, is, is not fair. That's interesting. You, you mentioned before about giving 14 or 15 extra points on, on their scores. I, when I read the briefs, I saw something different. There's an entire subjective category called your personal score. Yeah. And that's where the blacks, the, I'm sorry, the African-Americans were given uh, consistently the top number and the Asians were given in every single case the lowest number. And that's what Justice Clarence Thomas seized on. He said to the to the uh, the lawyer who was arguing on behalf of Harvard, he says, "I've read, I've seen the numbers, and it means one of two things: there's not one Asian with any integrity and a compelling life story, or your system is screwed, screwed up." So, so the the problem is the subjective nature. Of, of the advantage that's right. being given. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some remedial program, but to have a program where, coincidentally, every African-American is getting a four and a five on his personal score because of his compelling life story, and every Asian is getting a zero, it, statistically, it just shouldn't work out that way. There's got to be an Asian with a good story. They probably could find one. <laughs> no, and, and listen, the Asians came to America and were not no, with their, What with do you mean? They're, mirac- arms. they're miraculous. They come here with no English. And the Jew? English, no, but right. no English ability. The African Americans are here for more than 200 and years. And the Jews when they came from no, Europe? No, so you'd think that they'd have a big edge. Yeah. But you want to know the counter-argument that the black advocates uh, representing the interests of the African Americans yeah. are saying? 
There was never an affirmative program. Right. Uh, okay. You know, it was a token. There were a few blacks that right. were, and, right. and those, some of them did well. But you can't judge a program that has a token, uh, less than a few blacks to, to satisfy their, right. their guilt right. that they haven't done the right by, by over the years. Just like they're asking for, uh, what, what is it called? Uh, um, Reparations. What? Pepper, Reparations, rep- yeah. Reparations. There's one school in California which actually had a program like this and scrapped it, and African-American enrollment dropped by 50%. So there is an argument to be made that without some sort of remedial uh, program that the African-Americans will continue to be disadvantaged. I think the problem with what they have with the Harvard and the University of North Carolina system is that the way it's drafted, presently drafted, it's just so subjective. And so I like this, you know, he's African, I'm going to give him a five. He's Asian, I'm giving him a zero. There's just, there's no way to measure it. And that is inherently biased. Let me let me tell you something interesting. I'm totally for total mer- based on merit. The way, the way the NBA has it, right. you know, there's no issue. A guy's either better or worse, at, at least in in, in, in that the kind of thing. Right. It's easy to do, and and in, the, in in sports in general, it's all based on on uh, on merit. You could have the best connections. Your father could own the team. They're not gonna. They're not gonna put you on the team, and and destroy their their, you know their, competitive. Right. Uh, Just because you know you were in a yarmulke, I'm not drafting. But you. notwithstanding right. that, in in this in our world where we say, merit counts, almost fifty percent of the people that get uh, accepted in, at Harvard are not accepted because of their superior... George Bush... 43% are there because of donations or because their father... George Bush never had... He had a C average. He could have never got into Harvard Business School because there's a lot of... A classmate of mine became the dean of the Harvard Business School. And at one of the, I think, my 25th uh, reunion, I asked him, you know, how has it changed since you and I went? Is it much different. He says, first of all, when he and I, he and I went, 10% of the class was dropped out. Right. Why? Because we, we, we had no issues. There were no blacks. I didn't have one black out of 570 students. Somebody told me there was one black. I never met him. I think he was mistaken, the guy who was cleaning up after us, after we broke up. Our, but he really wasn't a group. student, yeah. yeah. But, but say there was one. <laughs> right. So... It was supposedly all on merit, right. and 10%, notwithstanding that 10% got dropped out, and you knew, they told you that going in, that 10% of the class right, will be right. dropped out. And they only Not, accept 10% of all their applicants every year, so the Asians' argument is, we're already starting behind the eight ball, there's 3,500 applicants for Harvard Law School a year, they only take 350, so now they're fighting for 350 spots, and... You know, you have 43% are going... 10%. 10%. They only accept 10% of their applicants. Right. That's what Harvard takes the first year of law school. 10%. 10% of all the applicants. So now... And they they reject... They they reject 90%. They only accept 10%. 43% of the people they accept, or the acceptees, are there on legacy. Their father gave Mm -hmm. money, their father went there, their uncle's the dean... So now how many spots are left open for the African-American or the Asian? 
This is the first generation of Asians here. So yeah. their father didn't go to Harvard, and unless they made a million, their father's not the dean. So well, that's that's based on merit. If you weren't <laughs> born uh, Asian, uh, white, you you, you, you no, you don't have the merit to go. <laughs> right. So the question is, what would have been if this lawsuit was started not by a group of Asians, by a group of whites? The Supreme Court's decision might be completely different, because some of the arguments that the Asians are making would is not an argument that a white person can make. Why not? Because they could say we're just as disadvantaged. We're also oh, first so generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what's very interesting about this so case. Why do, so why does why? Well, this case was started by a group of Asians. So no, but but this idea that merit, you know, because I'm in favor of merit, but it, it's not based on merit. But it can be on very, merit. But it, it can be. But it's Morty, not even where, start in kindergarten. Even where we claim it's on merit, got it. Harvard, Harvard, correct. Harvard is, it, it allows in. The ones with big don- donation, right. so it's imperfect. Now you know why end, I didn't go to Harvard. But the NBA is perfect. The right. NBA, all then, merit, all merit. You know. Right. So how do you change merit, or, or how do you introduce merit across the board? And that Harvard would resist because then they wouldn't be able to get the donations. My kids, because I went to Harvard Business School, my brother went to Harvard Business School. His kids, both his boys, got in. And, they deserved it, even if they weren't, you know, his father wasn't, and he wound up being a professor at Harvard. So they had an edge, but I'm saying it is imperfect, and, and you can't make it perfect. Right, but and why is it, why do you need, as you said, why does the basketball team go only on merit, but the law school has to be some other metric? And the ironic thing is, is that unless we change the education of the African-American from kindergarten, they're going to continue to want to grow up being the basketball player and not the lawyer. Sure, you will get your Colin Powell's and your Susan Rice. You will get phenomenal African-American doctors and African-American lawyers, but it doesn't represent enough of their population to say that affirmative action is working. Look, I worked on Staten Island as a door-to-door salesman. And uh, I'm Jewish, so they talked to me about the, you know, religion and different things. I became friendly with the women that I was servicing <clears throat> because I sold on installments. So every week I saw them again and again and again when they opened the door for me. They didn't lock me out and hide from me. Uh-huh. But I became friendly with a large number of them, and they all admitted to me I, they hate Jews. Yeah. And I say, why do you hate Jews? Well, they don't know, but the Jews dominate, the Jews own everything, the Jews are... It was, you know, not not a, a, an explanation that justifies it, but right. that, that's... Reality, at that moment, right. that was the reality. Right. But a few of them told me over time that I wish my daughter would marry a Jewish husband. Right. I, I was taken aback. I said, what do you mean? You always tell me how you hate Jews and, and Jews are the worst. And they'd they say to me, that's different. The Jews don't beat up their wives. Yeah, yeah. And the Jews uh, bring the home, bring the, uh, what do you call it? The wives beat us up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the Jews bring home, the Jewish husbands bring home the, the, their salaries to the, uh, to the family, to the wives. Yeah. Because they used to go meet their husbands 
at, at Friday afternoon when they picked up their paycheck to get the money before it, it, the, the guys would blow it at the bar or gambling or whatever. So they said, those, those were the two reasons they wanted a Jewish. So they became unbiased in a sense when, when that happened. It's an imperfect world. We'll never get perfection. Even when we say we supposedly Harvard is, is separate from this issue, Harvard was always considered, and most of these schools were always considered based on merit. Right. But it's not. Anyway, we have a quote that wants to, to take yeah. issue with, with, not with me, because I'm, I'm, I'm for merit. And, then, and you're for, in a way, we both agree. I'm not, well, uh, I, I'm, I'm just presenting the position of the, uh, of the, of the African Americans. And no, I, I want to tell you another thing. There was no greater friend to the African Americans than the Jewish leaders. Or the founders of the NAACP were all yeah. Jewish, Jewish lawyers. Yes, or yes the, they were. The two guys that died during the civil upheaval civil, uh, in, in, the, in the South when, when they were trying to get equal schooling, right. were, uh, I, I even remember their names, two out of th- the three were Jewish. Yeah, sure. Schwerner Schwer- yeah. and... Anyway, so the Jews, and, and, and notwithstanding that, they always are angry at the Jews and hate the Jews disproportionately. I so guess you, that's human, another... Human beings are imperfect. Right, and right. Until we find an outer space enemy that, we, all, that we could all hate together, uh, so we, we coalesce, we, we join together to hate that outer space. You, human beings always need uh, somebody uh, to an hate. An enemy, right. Yeah. right. Len, is there somebody on or... Sure. How are you? I'm good. I'm okay. I'm okay. Good to good, good to hear you both. Um, I, I, first, just one thing about that 43% number you guys were were talking about. That was 43% of all whites admitted to Harvard were there on you know that sort of legacy block. 43%, almost half of the whites, not of everyone, just of the whites. And then they, that, that same study went through and looked at them, and 75% of those people would not have qualified for right. Harvard. Correct, so I saw that. When it comes to meritocracy, that is not what we have, and that's not what we have ever had. And the whole point of this is that the unnatural advantage that people like this have needs to be in some way compensated so that people will... I mean, I don't think anybody's saying that the people who are applying to Harvard and getting in are, you know, unqualified people. Uh, you know, that they, they, they bombed their SATs, that they, you know, had C averages. That's what's happening with these white legacy students. But, you know, I don't think, any, I don't think the, the Asian uh, students are saying this. I don't think anybody's saying this about the, you know, people who actually made it into Harvard as a, as a minority. Another important thing to think about here is that Asians at this moment represent 25% of every class at Harvard. 25%, far, far outpacing their actual representation in the um, 
in the country. So they're not the the the, the people that if uh, and and the number that you brought up about um, Stuyvesant, I, I think wasn't it that that seventy percent of the kids at Stuyvesant now are Asian? Something I, I like that. Yeah. 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 My yeah. numbers, my numbers were reversed. My numbers said seventy-two percent white, eighteen percent Asian. Do I have it backwards? Because you said the opposite. At, at, at the Stuyvesant? No, I mean uh, one of one of my good my, one of my good friends' uh, white son was you know one of ten in his graduating class. White his, or Asian? Uh, uh, no, no. Um, uh, Stuyvesant is majority Asian. Okay. Uh, All right. My numbers are reversed. Okay. Okay. So, but they, but but the but the point there about Stuyvesant is that one hundred percent of the admissions process is based on testing, not on. And, and by testing, I mean you know those sorts of multiple choice, you know the, the fill in the blank testing, not necessarily on writing, not necessarily on anything to do with. Other, you know, creative thinking, but you know, on on testing. So it's objective. Um, and so that's it's objective. No, they argue it's not objective because well, it's, it's objective designed by whites set of, of that don't have the same experience. But, uh, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna assert that that in and of itself is subjective, and there. But that's a whole. Tell you what, that's a whole other thing. There's, the way the tests are designed. Important points I want to bring up. One is that it, and that it's. Um, it's sad that this is going unspoken for most of the, all of the conversations that, are, that I hear around the country about this right now. White women have been the primary beneficiary of affirmative action. Because prior to this, we were, you know, representing uh, you know, equal numbers as, as white men in the country. Uh, you know, we, before any of the affirmative action programs, we were somewhere between, you know, 20 to 30 percent of, of uh, you know, college students. After that, we are now at you know, post these programs, we are now outpacing men uh, in terms of admission and the the rate at which um, uh, you know people are, are successfully graduating. So there is something to getting in when you can qualify. Getting in even though you don't match the preconceived idea. And along those lines, I'm going to say that, that that, to me, mirrors the family situation that you guys have been talking about, the cultural situation, uh, but also the intergenerational uh, piece of it. Um, 20 years, and it's 20 years now, it's, it hasn't yet reached 25 years, but 20 years is basically, you know, not even how we measure generations. You know, we're less than a generation into this, and so if you're going to start developing role models and people at multiple uh, layers in society, it just seems, I, I don't know, it just, it just kind of boggles my mind that we're going to think that it's going to happen within a generation. Can I ask you a question? Two, can I, can yeah. I ask you a question? Do you think it'll change in 50 years from now? Do you think this... Well, I, look, you, I, I, I'm actually uh, incredibly pessimistic about how we're going to do as a country, personally. Yeah, well, that's, that's another that's discussion. So I, don't yeah. want to, I don't want to project on that, but I just want to, just talking about right now, um, the other thing, though, is, and I don't understand how we can say that affirmative action has been a failure when you look at 
college graduation rates among African Americans, you know, going up every year for the last 20 years. So why would that not be seen as a positive, I mean, as an affirmation? I'll explain it. Because the percentage Mm -hmm. that you just described, you're describing the percentage of the class, but you're not talking about the percentage of the African community. The African community... No, I am. No, you're not. No, no, no. I, I just pulled up the, stu- the studies. African Americans are, uh, are... are Hang on, here we go. Um, college enrollment of blacks, okay? So that's of, you know, within, within the cohort and the cohort being black. You know, we've got... Uh... uh it went from less than 1% to over 2.3, 2.35. All right, that's, that's moving in the right direction. And, and so the 25% I was talking about was about uh, Harvard, uh, um, a, the percentage of Asians in a Harvard class right now. Let me rephrase the question. What percentage of the African-American community males graduate high school, what percentage of well, the... I don't, Af- let, let, I, I don't I, you know, if you give me the database, I can, I can figure that out okay. for you, but I don't have that at home. But it's but nowhere near... Female, uh, on any given year, we've got, uh, we, we have at least a percentage point increase every year, which is, and that's within, you know, that, the right age cohort. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to go dig uh, for other stuff. Call but, back next week um, and we'll, we'll deal with it because yeah, we're running the, to, the, the, to the end of our time. The, the gains anticipated by a court decision that allowed for affirmative action to remedy and to bring the oppressed out of the gutter has not worked. It hasn't. It's opened opportunities for very, very few people. And I'm not saying whose fault it is. I'm just saying it gives the Asians a great argument to say you have no right. There is no longer a compelling state interest to deny us what what we should get on merit to remedy a problem which A, we didn't create, and B, your solution is not working. What I would say the solution to that is to um, only let the legacy students in that qualify. Oh, I and agree. you're not taking away from any of the others. You know, the people who they're actually competing against are unqualified people uh, who are white. Okay. What's her name? <laughs> Anna, thank you for your call. Great call. Call back next week and we'll, we'll continue this. Okay. I, I just want to wrap it up okay. by, by finishing what my classmate I started to say, who became a dean. I said, what, what's changed? Is it the same or different? He says, number one, we don't, can't drop our 10% of the class or even 1% of the class. Because when you and I went, it was all white guys and, and there was no problem. As a matter of fact, one of the guys they dropped out in my class, and I met with him after years later, he dropped out because he he didn't match up. Was a, na- a guy named Mac Aldrich, and and all of the the three major buildings there opposite the classrooms, you know, colonial type buildings, beautiful dorms, were all named after former secretaries of the treasury, and Aldrich was one of the 
former Secretary of the Treasury. He also happened to be a Rockefeller Aldrich. And notwithstanding that, he got kicked out. So it was really uh, based on merit, to the best of my knowledge, you know, because it was, you can't be bigger than that, have a building there named after your, fa- your family. And then he said, so now, but now we have women in the class. You had no women at that time, but that's not even the issue. But we have a lot of uh, African-Americans and Hispanics and so forth. So we don't drop them out anymore. What we do is if they don't match up, we ask them to take a leave of absence and we will help them during their off years when they're not attending to improve their capacity. But of course, once they, the experience is once they give them a, a, a what, what is it called, a furlough, and say take the time off and get, get prepared, you're not being kicked out, you're just being uh, a furloughed for a while. Most of them don't even bother coming back. So that's number one. Number two, he said, uh, he spends more than 25% of his time in court. You know why he spends so much time in his court? He says that in New York, there's a woman that's suing them, that her, her daughter is uh, a, it's 100% uh, A student. Every course she's ever got was A in high school. She's captain of the, of the tennis team, and she's president of her class. So she says, how could you possibly reject her? She went to court. And he explained to the judge and whoever else made the judgment, he said, look, we get so many applicants from New York and Massachusetts that are so qualified and we have to reject because we have an allocation. If you're from Ukraine or or some third world country, Zimbabwe, we get one one application every ten years. Right. We 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 take them in. Right. So it's allocate, allocated. Yeah. If we get an application from Wyoming, we get very few. So we take them in. So unfortunately, it's it's never fair. Right. And 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 Anna, let me make one last point, and then I really have to run. Another reason why uh, allowing somebody in not based on merit is is not the greatest of ideas, because if you're now a major major player in the legal profession, right? You want to hire a law right. firm. You want to hire somebody for your law firm. Now, who are you going to hire? You're going to hire somebody who had the better grades and the better background, or you're going to hire the person who made it in to law school only because of a special accommodation. So what, what favor are you really doing? Are you really opening up another opportunity, a true opportunity for this person? I, you know, if I was hiring somebody, I'm looking at his grades, his performance in the classroom, his performance as it relates to the other students. And if I find out that somebody really didn't deserve to be there and he was only admitted because he was given a subjective arbitrary score of five on his personal uh, background story, I might think twice. Maybe I would hire him, but I would think twice. I don't know from on the... It's not trickling down to the next generation... But I don't know, even know if we're doing this fellow a favor because he might not get the job he thinks he's going to get. Okay, I got to run, Gordy. I love you. I just want to close by saying, I'll give you my prediction of what's going to happen. And I'll give you mine. The Jets are not making it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's, that's a, 
Remember this. We're going to go back at him at the end of That's the season. Right, end of the season. I, I agree. But neither with, are my Cleveland I agree Browns. With you. I agree with you on that too. Neither are my Cleveland Browns. <laughs> are you a Cleveland? Fan? I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. Anyway, um, see now you talked me out of it. You say a prediction of what you think the Supreme yeah, Court is going to. They're definitely going to reject Harvard and 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 adhere to the Chinese argument, the Asian argument, or if they really want to cop out. They will do what they did recently and say, well, it, it's not in the Constitution, we won't deal with it. It's an, it since it's not in the con- it. No, since it's not in the Constitution, it's a state's right. Anything right. That, that wasn't defined specifically for the... And then in that case, we know what will happen. A, it, a depends, of, it depends where you live. Right. In Alabama, they'll never, get, they'll never have another black at the college. Right, <laughs> right. And in New York... Who knows? All right, Morty, thank yeah, you, you so much. You did a great job. Didn't I? I, I really? I, I'm, I'm amazed. No, I, I'm not. And, a, I, and I got this job on merit, didn't I? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. No, but I was surprised because I told you the last minute. I didn't tell you what the subject is a week in it. And it turns out you, you did so much work on this. What do I do I, all I could have listened. No, I could have listened to you, like you said, for, for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, this, this is such you, a great you, topic. Yeah.